Calling all Swifties and champions of change, Like a Girl Media is rolling out the red carpet for you with our Thrive Like a Girl contest. We're all about celebrating powerful women leaders who inspire us to dream big and push boundaries. And who embodies that spirit more than Taylor Swift herself? Here's your chance to see her live in concert. We're giving away two tickets to Taylor Swift's show in London on Saturday, June 22nd. Imagine being part of the magic, all thanks to Like a Girl Media. Entering is easy. Subscribe, share, and show us which episodes inspired you the most. Visit our website or check our social media for all the details. Don't just dream it, be it. Thrive like a girl and make this summer unforgettable. Contest opens globally, voidware prohibited, must be 18 or older to enter, no purchase necessary. Subscribe and share with hashtag thrive like a girl and tag us at like a girl underscore media for entry. Unlimited entries means unlimited chances. Winner chosen at random after contest closes May 20th, 2024. We'll be notified via DM. Make sure your profiles are not private. Check full rules on our site. This is your shot to see Taylor Swift live. Don't miss it. Support for this episode is brought to you by Chirpy Bird Health IT Consulting. Their newly released book, MIPS Manual 2019, is available on Amazon now. This book is great for practice administrators and clinicians who need to keep up with the changing healthcare laws. Welcome to the Hit Like a Girl podcast where with each episode, we hear from different women experts in the health IT industry. We like to hear about what makes them tick, how they overcome challenges, work they're proud of, advice they would give to other women in health IT, and much more. I'm Joy Rios. And I'm Robin Roberts. Today, we're bringing you a special installment of the Hit Like a Girl podcast. We're talking with the co-host of the podcast, Joy Rios. She's a four-time author in CMS Quality Payment Programs, co-founder of Chirpy Bird Health IT, and is the most dynamic woman I have ever met. Join us as we sit down to learn more about her, what makes her tick, and why she is so passionate about Hit Like a Girl podcast and its place in healthcare. So we're talking with Joy Rios, the co-host of Hit Like a Girl podcast, co-principal, founder of Chirpy Bird, and we've never done an episode with you. We did my episode, which was kind of by mistake. We were testing audio and whatever else, and you thought it would be a good idea to record for myself, Robin. But our listeners have said they don't hear from you enough in the interviews. They've said that they want to know more about you. So tell us why the heck you started this. Why is there Hit Like a Girl podcast? The short answer is I went to a conference about a year and a half ago, and... It was an amazing conference. You could tell that a lot of work went into it. There was like, <laughs> why are you laughing? Because <laughs> it's true. Remember I was talking on the phone with you? I was like, Robin, you got to mm-hmm. be here. They have put so much into this. Like, there's marketing efforts. There's amazing No, we were speakers. working together. You got invited to go as yourself as yeah. an influencer in the space of it health IT. It was really great. And then I was going to all these sessions and one in particular, like I, at, at the time, have always sort of, and for reasons we can talk about, you know, had an interest in like women's health care and how women pre- present and how like what's going on with them. And so I went to a session on women's health 
and was flabbergasted by the fact that it was three out of five of the speakers were men. And I just felt like, how could three out of, how could the majority of the speakers speak intelligently about women's health? I don't care if they have a passion and they have understanding of technology and they could be the smartest people, but when someone's talking about, you know, what women go through, I had a really hard time accepting that it was coming from men. Did any of these men have credentials that were seemingly aligned with women's health? Or was there something that struck you in the conversation that you're like, what makes you an authority? There was one gentleman who was an, you know, he was an executive and clearly, like, it's not like they were lacking education, but it does, like, that's not the point. It doesn't matter how much education you have, you're never going to be coming from a having a woman's perspective, having the experience that women go through throughout their life. You know, like, what is it like to get your period? What is it like to have a baby? What is it like to lose a baby? What is it like to have milk coming out of your boobs? Like, <laughs> I don't even know those things, but I would like to hear about that from women. <laughs> anyway, so that was actually quite infuriating for me. And I just felt really, you know, like more offended than the idea of a manual, which is, you know, an all male panel, like, it wasn't even that, but it was just like, how is it that we in this day and age are not giving women a voice to even speak about their own experience? And I didn't know how I was going to do anything about that, really. But it really just set off something in me to start thinking about like, well, what do I have the power to do? What is my skill set? How can I be a force for change? And, you know, podcasting doesn't take that much technology. People do it in their bedrooms. And to be honest, sometimes that's what I do. So at what point does this become a reality? At what point in time did you decide a podcast was the way to go? I had always kind of been thinking about wanting to do a podcast, but I knew that it was a big commitment. And at the time, I was working full-time for a company that, of course, you were working at too. We knew how busy we were. It wasn't the kind of thing that I could do without permission, so to speak. And so I was just thinking about it. I was thinking up a name. I was thinking up, like, how could we do this sort of in... Well, of course, I'm thinking about you, Robin. I'm like, you're doing this with me. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to do this, and you're going to do it with me. Don't worry. I've got it covered. <laughs> I'll figure it out as we go. For everyone listening, yeah. that's pretty much how it went. <laughs> and here we are. Yeah, and here we are. But I knew how to build websites. And we work in health IT. We're familiar with technology. So kind of knowing that like parts and pieces, this isn't necessarily rocket science. Talking with people is something we're very comfortable doing, and I figured it would be really nice to start asking people and having more in-depth conversations. Mm, I remember what it was. There was a book that was inspiring to me. It was Bill Bryson's A Short History of Nearly Everything. Have you heard of that book? No. Okay, so he basically went around the world to speak to scientists 
doesn't matter. The gender obviously is not an issue. He's just like, I want to learn about the history of the universe. And what better way to do that than to go speak to the scientists who study these different things. And he went to, you know, people who understood. He started from the Big Bang all the way, like evolution and archaeology and all of these different things. It's a fascinating book if you ever get a chance to read it. But one of the messages that he sent was, he's like, I thought it was going to be so boring because science, you know, has, could be boring for people. I don't find it that way. But the people that he spoke with were so passionate about the work that they were doing that they couldn't help but get him excited about it. And he said one of the things that he found so surprising is that there were plenty of people that spoke about their work but there weren't very many people who asked them directly, talk about your work, not have some journalist or somebody else write about it, but who's actually doing the work and ask them what it is they know. And surprisingly, they speak really passionately about it. And I guess I had a bit of an aha moment thinking, nobody's asking the women. And you look at, like, they don't have a platform. And you think about all the statistics of you know, how many women work in healthcare, how many healthcare decisions that women make, well, you know, with, for themselves and for their families. And, you know, you go and you look, kind of look at all the stats of how involved women are in all of these different aspects of healthcare, and yet they're not represented on stages or in conferences. They don't have as much of a voice. And I guess I was inspired by like, well, I'm going to be the Bill Bryson of this. It makes a lot of sense to hear you say it and how it all came together and the thought process behind it. So you mentioned that you have experience building websites. This is not your only skill set. I know that. I know you've written several books. At one point in time, before I met you, someone told me you were a New York Times bestselling author. That's a lie. (laughs) (laughs) Nonetheless... How did you weave all of the necessary stuff together? Like, what is the background behind everything before the podcast? And what skills have you pulled from different places to bring you to where you are now for the podcast or day job? Where does it all begin? It's funny because I never knew what I wanted to do. Like, I always thought my sister was really lucky. She's an architect, and my husband is always telling me, like, when are you going to say, right, your sister's an architect? Like, I'm always bragging about her because she's so accomplished. But she's known her whole life, and I was always really jealous. Like, how did you know by the age of 19 that you wanted that specific career? And although she's taken twists and turns and whatnot, I did not know. Like, I knew that I really, like, in college, I knew that I liked to read. I liked to write. So I became an English major, and I basically just consumed as much as I possibly could, really for just a love of learning. I loved getting lost in stories, and I loved the idea that you could really understand a lot through immersing yourself in other worlds. And it felt like not necessarily an escape of sorts, but it just felt like you can learn a lot about life, really, of like understanding the trials and tribulations or whatever, fiction, nonfiction that people talk about and write about. And so I just was like a really huge consumer of literature for many, many years. 
then I got, so this is kind of funny. Then, do you want my rambling story? Because I can ramble. All right. We want to hear the rambling. <laughs> it's important. You, well, you you bring up a good point about the storytelling, the immersiveness there. I know why you correct my grammar and my bad writing. It makes a lot of sense. And you definitely commit to things for sure. Yeah. Like unequivocally, full on, when you dive into something, you are immersed in it. And so hearing some of those parts and pieces is good, but you weren't an English major and then started a podcast. So what else? Well, so continuing down that, uh, when I went to university, I decided to kind of commit to the literature and studied abroad in Wales. So then I learned English literature in the United Kingdom and was over living in this like beach town called Swansea in Wales for a year. So I spent a whole school year there and basically got outside of my comfort zone. Really, like it was, there were not very many Americans in the program. There was one other American girl from Wisconsin that I was studying with at that time. And so I lived in this flat with like six other girls from different parts of the UK. And each one of them had a very different accent you know like even within the UK which is a small island they had different experiences and ways that they spoke and the ways that they communicated and language etc so it was really such an amazing learning experience but one of the things that had stuck with me was I'm from California right I'm from Southern California it's a beach place not did not live far from the ocean but I did not really grow up this is kind of a random too, but it definitely makes sense. I didn't learn how to, like, I would play in the water, play in, you know, bodyboarding or whatever, but never learned how to surf. And one boyfriend I had in college told me, like, he was a surfer, oh, you wouldn't be able to do that. You know, that's only something that guys are really good at. And then I actually ended up breaking up with him and moving to Wales. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. You're noted. really like, if you're a listener and or anybody that knows you, this is all starting to make lots of sense. Please continue. Yeah. So noted. So I moved to <laughs> Wales. I meet this guy and he tells me, how could you possibly be from Southern California and not know how to surf? He happened to be a surfer and he took on this totally different approach to it. And he was just very welcoming. And anyway, I learned how to surf there. Didn't think that that would actually play a part in my life story thought it would just be something that was like a fun hobby but when I came back from that year abroad my mom who has just been an amazing supporter of my life in all the ways that she possibly could and specifically around my education and career stuff you know she was trying to connect the dots of my life and maybe worrying like what is joy going to do with herself with this english degree <laughs> and with this you know new surfing hobby and <laughs> she found what out, does one yeah, do what do you do with that how do you make a career about it well thankfully i lived in southern california they happened she happened to read the paper she loves to send me newspaper articles and there happened to be an opening of a brand new magazine and it was a women's surfing magazine. How serendipitous. How serendipitous. And they were looking for interns, you know, and in and, and, and the editorial department. And so it wasn't even a paid position. It was something that I volunteered for, but was like, 
yes. <laughs> <laughs> I want to be I and I what I ended up doing is like they really were only looking for somebody one day a week and I was like I'm going to be here four days a week and I'm going to work somewhere else to make my money so I ended up working like seven days a week for three years so that I could work at this magazine eventually of course I ended up getting paid and they got me on you know staff and whatnot but I learned so much through that experience I I threw myself into it like I tend to do. <laughs> it tends to be my way. You can remove tend like you do. Yeah, and they clearly took note of it. And so more than any of the other interns or whatever, they kept giving me more and more responsibilities. And I was interviewing professional women surfing girls and I was on photo shoots we were covering surf contests we got to travel down to Mexico and like do editorial like storyboarding we got to go surf after work with a bunch of pro surfers the way that I got on to the staff was that their photo editor ended up moving on and they needed an interim photo editor I became the interim photo editor where they had an I became very good at organizing things and so like having a mess where they're like here are a thousand slides of a bunch of different contests of women and all around the world that it's my responsibility now to create a library and organize it all so if you're looking for a picture of so-and-so you know surfer that was in Chile in 1993 and I'm like, oh, I can help you find that. And this is, of course, like before really the internet. <laughs> so everything was like slides in those like old school slides. Mm-hmm. And I'm not that old, but, you know, when I talk about it like that, that is like, yeah, this is before digital photography was really a thing. And so I just immersed myself in that for three years. After that was like, like you and I are used to, change happens. Like they ended up taking on more than surfing then it became snowboarding and skateboarding and then that kind of like fell through the wayside but it really in from a young age so that was in my early 20s got this passion for empowering women looking at you know how we fit into the world because it became this conversation around environmental stewardship because you're in the water you want to make sure that it's clean how do you understanding tides, understanding, you know, why, how waves form and kind of getting to the science behind it all. It was a really fun time in my life. And I felt like I was like, oh no, this is really valuable, whatever it is I'm learning. At that point in time, after all that time at the Surf Magazine and immersing yourself in it, committing, wearing all these different hats, learning everything you could, what did you think was next? Oh, my mom used to always ask me, what's my five-year plan? I was like, Ugh. Good Lord, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) And like, that's the thing. I honestly didn't know. I moved to Australia for a year, not knowing what I was going to do. Like, I bought a one-way ticket to Australia and told my family, like, I think I'll be back within a year, but I'm not quite sure. I don't know when I'm going to come back. (laughs) That was an adventure. And when I came back, when I did finally come back eight months later, I moved to San Francisco and not knowing what I was going to do. And from there, like, all of the experiences that I ended up having in my early 20s built on each other. You're laughing, but it's my life. Oh. <laughs> I can think about it. 
Australia. <laughs> it's like, what are you going to do? And you're like, I'm going to go see a Joey. <laughs> what, what did you do for the year in Australia? Oh, Tell man. us briefly. Well, I did some writing, for one. I did a ton of writing. I wrote and wrote and wrote. A lot of it was personal stuff. But I also wrote for other magazines because I got inspired by these professional women. They were sponsored. Of course, they're professional athletes and they get paid to travel around the world. And being so close to them and seeing what they had done, I honestly got inspired and thought, well, shoot, if you can do it, I can certainly figure it out. I mean, I'm not a professional athlete, but I can certainly, like, try not to be an athlete, but, like... (laughs) (laughs) find some sort of adventure and really my thought process was like I'm 23 I'm 24 this is the time to have this kind of adventure I don't know when else in my life this is going to make sense so I kind of made a calculated bet <laughs> that it would be worth it and it was I mean a lot of times adventures come with challenges that certainly came with its challenges, but it was absolutely worth it. What it opened me up to, what I was exposed to, the places I got to see, the literally the opposite side of the world scene where the Southern Ocean and the Indian Ocean actually meet physically and seeing that you could see like, oh my God, they're different colors. What? I wouldn't have guessed that the oceans are different colors. Like learning things that they're not in textbooks. You know, I wouldn't give it up for the world. Anyway, I came back, broke, <laughs> moved to San Francisco, one of the most expensive cities in the country. Where my yeah, sister I was going to say, it sounds like oxymoron. <laughs> yeah, it was a little oxymoronic, but, you know, ended up going to grad school there and found a little bit of my tribe a few years later in um, going to get my master's in business administration but with a focus in sustainability and so it really had it was a very different kind of graduate you know MBA program because it was looking at business holistically so instead of a lot of times and one thing that I had been frustrated by was thinking like everything is about greed and about making money and profits and i just thought the world can't that can't be the only thing that the world is about and if that i remember feeling angry and like that's not the world that i want to be part of like that's not a system that i want to put myself into and when i found this program the fact that they were looking at you know our natural resources and the social aspect of making sure that it's important that people are happy doing the work that they're doing and looking at, of course, you know, the financial sustainability, that looking at the systems approach of how businesses could work, I didn't know how I was going to apply it, but I thought that is for me. And so I really met some amazing people, got a great education, and just felt like, if I'm going to join the corporate world, like even though I don't know what I'm going to do with this yet, at least I can do it with the mindset that I feel like I'm going to make a difference and it's like the world I want to be part of, you know, be the change type of thing. I think hearing all that aligns really well with just this like gracious yet peaceful yet giving and thoughtful spirit that you kind of have about you. And so that, along with, like, all the different skill sets, makes a lot of sense. Well, so I was, remember, I was poor. 
<laughs> and so then I signed up to go to grad school, and I was I couldn't just go to grad school. I had to work at the same time. I found a solar startup, so solar technology. And when I was in grad school kind of learning about alternative energy and different resources and what do you do, like how do we shift to the future, working for this solar startup, I was literally the, the fifth employee thinking I was going to work part-time. Wait, wait, wait. Is this the place where you showed me where you had the chair races? Yes. <laughs> That's right. With all the engineers. It's yeah. So Joy, several weeks ago, sent me a video. I think she's just trying to make me smile. We had had a long week at her day job. And she sends me a video of her and colleagues on office chairs. And they are just cheering Joy on. And she is beating the snot out of everybody just like pedaling around on an office chair. Office chair and, racing. Like doing laps. <laughs> yeah. And apparently it's a thing. But so this was a solar company. Yeah, so it was they had won a grant. They had won a contest and through their contest they got free um, office space in San Francisco. They got free legal counsel. They got free accounting and all sorts of stuff. So a bunch of funding. We need to sign funding. up for this contest. Yeah, right. And it was just for a year, not forever. They were or three a three year lease in in this downtown San Francisco office, and they were like, "We need somebody." So they could afford to break some office chairs. Exactly. Okay. And they they basically had a bunch of angel funding as well, so a bunch like a big bank account, and I they had the president, the finance guy, and two engineers, and me. And so when I applied for the job. The place was empty. I'm not kidding you. There were desks in there with chairs, but there was no phone hookup, no computer, no nothing. It was a Friday, and they're just like, so when do you think you can get started? And I was like, well, it looks like you need my help right away. (laughs) (laughs) So as I do, I jumped into things, and it was one of those like, okay, we ordered everybody. Like I brought my computer. We ordered everybody. We literally from the ground up built the office, and so it was my responsibility to do the operations of this place. It's kind of where one area that I got into healthcare because I was signing everybody up for their health benefits, doing the research on what the benefits that were available to us, setting up payroll, doing the accounting, setting up the technology, like working with the IT guy, making sure that we had internet access. Then we had to procure all sorts of equipment and we kept hiring people. So then I got to like not be part of the interviewing, but the onboarding and making sure that they all the checks were marked for like everything. And then they got more funding. And so we were growing fast. I ended up working there for three years. And over that period of time, we went from, you know, five employees, maybe like in month one, like we were hiring like five, 10 people every month, every, every couple months. And so our office was growing. I was getting more computers. You'd have to like all of the thoughtfulness that would need to go into making sure that people have what they need to do their engineering job was my responsibility. Was it energizing to see all of that work translating into results with such immediacy? Oh my God, I loved it. It was such a fun job because these guys were so smart and I was one of the only women there too. So later we ended up hiring some, a couple other ladies, but the engineers, I could geek out with them and they were so smart and so much fun and I could go up to their workstation and be like, 
tell me about what you're doing. What is this microprocessor? What does this gadget do? What does that gadget do? And they're literally building, you know, utility scale solar. And so I would learn how to like speak the language of like, what are we doing? We're concentrating solar power and into this small little microchip. It was just fascinating. So what happens after three years at solar? Uh, Well, by that time I finished my graduate. So I finished the MBA. It was time for, you know, a change. And they had grown so much that they had grown out of that space in downtown San Francisco and moved down to Fremont, California, close to the former Toyota plant, which is now the Tesla plant. Um, But for me, that was a big enough change because I'd been in San Francisco for about six years. And up until that move, I had been able to walk to work. It was a very easy commute. I didn't own a car. And so it was like, all right, this is my this is my life. But when we moved to Fremont, it then became like an hour and change commute each way by train or carpool or whatever. And it just became unsustainable. So thinking of my own model, like, this is not going to be sustainable for me. And as serendipity had it, I had met up with my, over the holidays, my uncle, and my uncle, like going way back when, had moved to Puerto Rico, like in the 80s. He had worked for a document management company, and this is sort of my entry into healthcare. And I didn't even realize, it didn't even click, that I had this connection to healthcare until this moment in time. And so I see him at a holiday party, I tell him, you know, you know when you tell the universe, basically, like, I'm ready for a change. I don't know what that change is going to be, but I think something needs to shift. He had moved from Puerto Rico to Florida, and over the course of the last 30 years in his life, his document management company had evolved into a software. It had started out as microfilm and microfiche, which I can talk about what I got to experience when I was a kid, but then it turned into software. And then eventually, he became a distributor for an electronic health record, that a company that was based out of Puerto Rico, and he was trying to bring it to the States. And so he had an office in just north of Miami, Florida. So I go home for the holidays. Not, I mean, I go back to San Francisco thinking nothing of it. That was a nice family reunion. But I'm still thinking, like, I've got to figure something out. But since we had just graduated... Two of my best friends had planned a trip. We were like, let's celebrate. Let's, you know, we've worked our butts off. It's time to go enjoy for a little bit. And we had booked a trip to Puerto Rico, which is sort of old stomping ground for me and where my uncle still had a presence. And so he called me a week later, a week after that, and he just said, Joy, I can't stop thinking about you and what's going on. And to be honest, where I'm at in my life, I could really use some support. And with your you know, education and your experience and what it is you've been going through, I think you would be a really good fit. Would you consider moving to Florida? And I, first of all, I was like, no. <laughs> no. No, I would not consider moving to Florida. No offense. but To the Floridians. To the Floridians. <laughs> but I was, like, very, you know, like, happy with the culture and lifestyle in San Francisco. However... The two friends and I went to Puerto Rico. My uncle happened to be there and uh, loaned us his car. for. We got to travel all over the island. And instead of coming straight from Puerto Rico back to the Bay Area, I just decided to do a layover in Miami. And I'll, hey, I'll just stay a night, check out what his deal is, and 
make a decision. And so, and then go back to the, to SF. So we go to tour his office, meet his business partner. He tells me all about this EHR. And I know nothing about this kind of software, but in the mindset of like, oh, I've just had this amazing experience of building a small company into something larger. Like I thought, oh, I could translate my skills and this could be really cool. So I, on a whim, I just said, sure, I'll do it. I'll move across the country. And honestly, three weeks later, <laughs> I was in a car and off I went. And what did you do for him? What did you do there? What happened? What transpired? Well, basically, I had to learn about what an EHR was. <laughs> what is an EHR? I mean, I had a somewhat understanding of, like, document management and just, like, how it you turn, like, stacks of paper into, you know, something that people can get organized, although that's sort of a dying breed, although whatever. But, yeah, what is an EHR? It happened to coincide with when the High Tech Act passed. And so... As I was digging deep and kind of trying to understand what they were and how they fit into the world, what came up for what came up over and over and over again, the why, why would people at that point in time be purchasing an EHR, it pointed directly at meaningful use and the EHR incentive program. For people that are listening that aren't familiar with the EHR incentive program and where this all takes a very big turn for you, what was it? <laughs> so that is when uh, the government started giving money to doctors to adopt technology and basically an electronic medical record or an electronic health record and to use it in a specific way. And so it became my way of really diving in and understanding, well, what are the details behind this? What are the, what are the requirements? What do they need to know? And how am I going to sell this to somebody? How am I going to tell somebody else that they need to have one of these? Like, and... So what I got to do was work directly with the EHR developers, the software team in Puerto Rico. And I, <laughs> because it was a Puerto Rican product, um, it was mostly in Spanish. And so I had to take their Spanish user guide, you know, the manual on how to use this thing and translate it into English, which I was like, well, this is fun. But in doing so, like, you know, learn some Spanish skills. But in doing so, I learned every single aspect of the EHR. So everything that they had actually put into a user guide, I then got to learn like, okay, click by click, what happens in an EHR. And so it was a very kind of informal learning, but very tangible at the same time of like, what do these things do? What are they meant to do? What is the doctor's role? What is a nurse's role? What is How, how does the patient go through and all of it? And then really just trying to connect all of the dots. And then being able to speak to it of like, okay, here's the technology. And also you can, you know, earn an incentive by using it in a certain way. So you can offset the investment. Exactly. And so did, did that ever become something else? Well, I ended up staying in a Florida for about three years. And so really got to know that you know, technology at the time. However, it didn't really take off right away. What happened was I found, I found my husband, <laughs> fell in love. So you got sidetracked got a little bit. Got sidetracked a little bit. Yes and no. I mean, I dove in, but kind of took him along the ride. And we ended up moving back across the country. And that's why I landed back in San Diego in 2012. 
So I guess it was, you know, two and a half years later, not quite three years. And at that point, there wasn't a position for me to really get hired. It wasn't like an automatic, uh, there's a company and a job waiting for me on the other end. It was, okay, I have a skill set. What am I going to do with it? And I, at that point, started my own consulting firm, just my one-man band, really. And I started marketing to all of the people that the Meaningful Use program was relevant to. I'd gone through, I'd gone through another course that the government had offered a grant to. They had the grant for the people that needed to participate and know the High Tech Act. So I went through that coursework, got some certification in in healthcare stuff, and then basically jumped in start, and really kind of started working with dentists in San Diego. When I ended up working with a, generations of families and of dentists, like grandfathers and their and their sons and then their brothers and then their aunts like all over they were like oh you need to know joy and they just kept like bouncing me around to their different family members who happened to be dentists all over the country <laughs> and helping them like jump through the hoops that they needed to to get that those incentive funds so I kind of cut my teeth really just no like, pun intended no <laughs> exactly but like you know marketing to my community and then connecting with the FORMED community, which is where they were doing some sort of online training. And I had gone through their online training. They And I don't know if anybody else was as active in their community as I was, because surprise, surprise, when I do something, I jump in. <laughs> and they noticed, and they basically said, you know what, you know your stuff, you know it in a way that nobody else seems to. Can you help us create the content for the coursework that we are creating. And so I then became, like one of my biggest clients was with the FormEd community, and I would basically create online training classes to teach people about meaningful use. And then that ended up evolving to PQRS and other government programs. And then some EHR systems that they had in academic systems like the training around how to use those EHRs, and it just kind of evolved from there. And then through writing all of that curricula, I realized, like, it's not really that beneficial for me to have all of this information in my head and not have a place to apply it and not have somebody have make use of it. And that's really where the books came in because I figured, let me just get this out. Let me get this off my chest, out of my head, into the hands of people that can use it and I figured it would just be a set it and forget it, but that didn't end up happening. No, that's not what ended up happening. So to this point, you have all of the skill set with the literature, the writing, the immersing yourself, the storytelling, the schooling, the more worldly experience, some of these perspectives peppered in about just women in places they were and perception and what's going on in life. The stuff really breaking in after the solar company and the surfing magazine, putting all these skills to work and learning all these new skills to help a startup flourish for several years, breaking into healthcare through your uncle, through microfish document management systems, and then ultimately EHR, the government incentive programs. And you take all this information and you put it into a book because you thought it was doing no one any good. And now the reality is you're running a consulting company, you have the podcast, and you're getting ready to release the fourth book. Yeah, that's right. 
I mean, it was fun working where I met you. So, I mean, it kind of leads right into where you and I met was I think that our former boss found me because I was a teacher through the FORMED community. And so it wasn't a job I was looking for. It was the first time in my life that somebody had reached out to me and said, we want you on the team. <laughs> and I remember thinking, I was like, but I just built this company. I'm just making some traction. Yeah, I think we have to give a shout out to Mike Lassaneri for being good at locating people, for sure. Yeah. Because we would never would have crossed paths, and he definitely had a knack for that. He definitely was good at like finding people and what they were skilled at and putting them in the right place. Yeah, so it was really nice. And So Mike reaches out. Mike reaches out. At first I was like, no, no, no. My husband just finished his grad school. We're going on vacation. Coming in <laughs> six weeks. <laughs> and he called you in six weeks. Yeah, of course he did. Yeah, he did. And, of course, he convinced me, and it ended up working out, and it ended up being a great decision. And it was one of the more rewarding jobs, similar to the solar, where it was like working with a team of passionate people who were interested in making things easier for people in this industry and helping them just to make sense of this stuff because it's naturally just freaking complicated and kind of just like breaking down the barriers and like being a person that is like, I can speak your language. I can tell you, like cut through all the, the crap. Here's what you need to know. <laughs> <laughs> and then you and I met, which picks up in a whole nother episode that we can link people to through this because it can go through the next steps. But we are in the process of interviewing people for what will now be season three of the podcast what does that feel like to have taken all of these skills, kind of, as Lauren Patrick says, kind of connecting the dots, right, and doing something different? What is it like to see that, to hear the feedback from other people, from the health IT and healthcare community and the people you talk to? Well, it's kind of incredible because, one, I started doing this because I was just, I just, it, it felt good. It was something that was, it was a passion project. It felt good for me to just, it felt meaningful. And I'm like, I don't know if this is meaningful for you, but you're doing this with me. <laughs> <laughs> I know we need to make money and we will, but this is important. So just trust me. And I, you know, and people have all these questions like, what are your metrics? How many people are listening? What, you know, and they like have these like definitions mm -hmm. of success. And I kind of threw all of that out the window of like, none of that matters. If, if we get one person who is listening and it makes a difference to that person, that is what matters. And like, that is enough at the end of the day. And it turns out <laughs> that we've been doing this for a year and it's really been meaningful for people in the sense that we've heard feedback where you know one girl has actually changed changed her major because she didn't know that health and you know nurse informatics was even a thing mm -hmm. <laughs> that's super flattering that you're like oh my god we're actually like helping people know what's actually out there leveling up that literacy and education level knowing that there's so many different pieces and like how much we can learn from each other being the media partner for different healthcare conferences has been super flattering. And the one that was inspiring this whole thing, we now get to be a media partner for, which is amazing. And we're starting to get... Some... And you're going to moderate at the conference that really kind of, really was the impetus and spurred all of this thought How to bring you to this that? point. They've asked me to be a moderator on like the women's healthcare 
panel for an afternoon. Thank goodness. I would hate to think what might happen this fall if they had. (laughs) And then on top of that, we're getting like amazing guests. People saying yes. Where before I'm like, we're calling, you know, I'm calling my my friends and colleagues of like, do you know somebody over there that wants to talk about whatever? And like now we're able to speak to some really, really like it, it has not been an issue at all to find guests and people to speak to. And to be honest, I feel like we're having some of the more not just not just like deep and it's not just deep. It's like empathetic. I feel like these conversations that you and I get to have with these ladies are touching on topics and aspects of healthcare that no one else is talking about. And you get to hear their personal experiences and what is driving them. And honestly, I feel like none of this is about me. And that's kind of what I love about it. It's not about, I don't particularly want to be in the spotlight for anything. But being able to amplify these other people, their accomplishments, their contributions, their like just expertise. And you're just like, I, half the time I'm sitting there with my jaw open, wowed by what people are up to in their life. <laughs> we speak with some pretty remarkable people with some pretty amazing journeys of their own. And it's it's been a really dynamic experience. Yeah, it's one of the, I think it's probably the most rewarding thing that I've done to date. And we're not really getting paid for it it's just because we like to do it. By not really. Joy means not at all. (laughs) So, what, if you have one wish for the podcast. But I would take that back, though. Like, yeah, we don't get paid in dollars, and that's fine. But the return on this investment has been more than tenfold. Agreed. More than tenfold. It is just like, we've met amazing people. We've been able to facilitate other people connecting dots and working with each other. When we have questions about our work, we know who to go to to ask. It has just really been fulfilling in in ways beyond than I ever would have even guessed or imagined. I do appreciate the fact that we've been able to call on some people, but I think the neatest thing is when we're speaking with someone and you and I are thinking the same thought about who else they should be speaking with or might benefit from knowing mm-hmm. to just be able to connect them like on the LinkedIn group that was started. So if you have one wish for the podcast, what is it? Mm, just that it keeps going. Really? Okay. I mean, that's the thing. It's, I'm not in... like. Well, where do you, if you had to just kind of pontificate for a minute, where do you see it, like, two or three years from now? You know what? I'd like to be able to take it on the road with you, <laughs> which is a little <laughs> bit what we do already, but more so. It would be really nice, like, okay, talk about, like, bucket list things. It'd be nice to be able to go to conferences in Australia and interview people around the world and, like, have, and, and I guess have a bigger conversation because right now we've been able to talk about U.S. healthcare. And it would be really interesting to kind of expand that, and that would be pretty awesome. Yeah, we've had some guests talk about stuff more globally and internationally, like in O'Nurse, and so it definitely kind of sparked something that would definitely be quite remarkable. So when you don't know something, well, let's take a step back. What 
has been some of the biggest challenges or learning curves in this process of standing up a podcast? Because you, we have a beautiful narrative about, you know, your professional and educational history and a little bit of life practice in there and things that maybe went well, some other things that weren't going so well. But what has been maybe the most surprising challenge? Mm, that's a good question. I don't know. What do you think? I'm thinking like, no, what do you think? You know, I don't really know because I feel like when something comes up, I feel like you handle it with a lot of patience and grace. So not to say that there haven't been pitfalls or snafus or... There's times I'm intimidated by what people know that I'm like, I feel like I don't know what you're talking about. I feel like I'm learning in this moment. And sometimes I don't feel like I can actually ask questions or facilitate a conversation that is going to get the best out of what it is they have to share. And that comes from my lack of knowledge. But I feel like that's a process of doing the best I can. I would to- I totally get that because I think there's definitely been some things where people talk about something with a level of depth and knowledge and expertise that it is hard to know what to ask and maybe we are remaining too topical. But then there's also guests that have done just a, such a brilliant job of breaking down the complexity of what they deal with, just like you do. And it allows you to dive deeper because you're able to connect the pieces in the moment of what they're explaining and what happens. Mm-hmm. And we had that happen with a guest today. So where do you go when you're looking for inspiration or you want to do something new and dive in? What is making you tick? What do you gravitate towards when it comes to reading, listening? whether it's professional or personal. Maybe an example of each. Mm. Definitely avid podcast listener. That's part of where this, of course, where I'm like, oh, of I like course. the medium, so that's kind of obvious. And I can... What are your top three? Well, they've changed over time. Sometimes if I'm just going for entertainment or want to just like have something in the background, I, of course, I listen. I've been listening to Armchair Expert with Dax Shepard just because it's quite entertaining and you know he's got good guests and he's funny and you can learn something from the people they're not necessarily only promoting whatever it is he talks about experts and sometimes he'll bring people like Dr. Eric Topol on and you're like oh okay I can weave this into my to my knowledge base on healthcare mm-hmm. so that's kind of different perspective but a little bit on in the entertainment side that healthcare policy network there's health no it's just the healthcare policy podcast it's just one guy he interviews people i think that his topics are really good and i always get really great insight from them and i feel like he talks about things that even though it's called policy he brings in a much bigger picture like healthcare and climate change that is that particular episode i was like no one's talking about that how thank you for bringing that connection of how you know, mm-hmm. the climate crisis actually affects healthcare and vice versa. Um, the ladies over at the KHN, the Kaiser Health News, they're mostly women. They never say that they're like a female or woman, you know, sponsored or hosted podcast, but like almost all of their guests are women and they talk about really, I like the conversations that they have. It's really topical. And I stay up to date with like, okay, what did, what's going on in the news and any sort of policy changes that are happening? They talk about them in depth. It's like reporters from Politico and from different 
you know, healthcare organizations or media outlets that they just like, hey, here's here's the news of the, you know, story of the week or whatever that you should read. I feel like I get a lot out of that. I haven't been reading a lot of like physical books, but I do a lot of audio books. And to be honest, meditation. Uh, meditation has been something that like, I know that's not where do I go to get my information, but it's like, where do I go to actually calm down and disconnect <laughs> calm down <laughs> and disconnect yeah. yeah and just like find a minute of peace mm-hmm. i'm definitely like an avid participant of the 10 percent happier app it's something that i try to spend some time of just like okay let me just clear my mind for a minute because as you know there's a lot going on all the time and it's just like okay how can i be my best self and sometimes that means you know not focusing on everything that's outside of you but like okay how am I showing up and how can I clear my mind so that I can say what needs to be said or do what needs to be done or be who I need to be etc I think you do a brilliant job showing up executing and just kind of I think you lit the torch and you do a phenomenal job carrying it forward. And I know I am personally and internally grateful for you starting this. And I know you grabbed me by the hand and told me to come along. And anyone who's listening to us knows that I had a lot of life going on. And so not only are you just an amazing professional, I am just so glad to have you as a friend. And I think hearing the story beginning to end I have heard so many parts and pieces of it over the years it really just brings a smile to my face about how all of your puzzle pieces have come together for the small part of the puzzle you own both in your life and professional career to just kind of shed some light on the day in and day out of everything that goes on including needing to disconnect whether it's walking Juno for anyone that follows you on Instagram or these (laughs) other places but Thank you. And I think a lot of our listeners thank you because there's been a lot of brilliant feedback about the brand and none of which is possible without you. None of it. Thanks. So if people want to see pictures of you or your dog Juno that I just mentioned or follow you or find out more about what's going on with the podcast, what's the best ways to connect with you? Well, I'm mostly on Twitter these days. I've kind of backed off um, Facebook and Instagram Although I still have a presence there, but I would say Twitter would be the best place. I'm at Ask Joy Rios, and I'm on LinkedIn under my name, Joy Rios, and also the podcast, which of course, if you're listening to this, hit like a girl pod. And then more so, I've been really thrilled about the connecting people on LinkedIn. So we started a listener and guest group where both the guests of the podcast and the listeners of the podcast can connect work with each other, be inspired by each other, mentor each other, support each other in whatever way that you can imagine. So I'm excited to see how those grow, and I would love to see more people there. If somebody thinks that they, you know, want to be on the podcast or they know of someone great, so, you know, if they're a woman in healthcare, health IT, or they're just a champion of women in health IT, we're yet to find our first male guest, (laughs) that... What's the best way for them to connect? 
Well, if they go to our website there, if you scroll to the bottom, there's a way that you can sign up to be a guest and that will take you to basically a Google form that has your contact information and a little bit of questionnaires around who you are. And then from there, once you submit it, it gives us a little ping and we will have our coordinator reach out if, if it's a good fit. Thank you for educating the rest of our listenership about you a little bit more. I guess. <laughs> and thank you for listening to the Hit Like a Girl podcast. If you want to know more about us or this guest, check out our website at hitlikeagirlpod.com. While you're at it, if you found value in this episode, we'd appreciate the ratings on iTunes. Or simply tell a friend. You can also connect with us on Twitter or Instagram at the handle hitlikeagirlpod. Thanks again. See you soon. Thank you to Chirpy Bird Health IT Consulting. You can find out more about them at www.chirpybird.inc.com.